Joining us now, as we promised at the top of the program, is uh, a living legend, I have to say, of Sacramento <laughs> Radio. <laughs> oh, Phil yeah. Cowan, uh, welcome to Radio Parallax. Well, thank you very much, Doug. Nice to be here. I'm, I'm glad to have you. We've been in our, on our uh, list of desired guests for quite some time. It's good to have you on board. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I'm not sure whether or not being referred to as a living legend is a good thing. So it's on the ragged edge of being called old fart. <laughs> you guys, uh, you and your partner, are um, certainly well known in this town for the long, the long stint you've had on local radio and, My buddy and television Paul Robinson as well. And I, yeah, we did um, did radio here at, at the same radio station for 19 years, which if anybody had told me when I started in that business that I would have ever had a gig run that long, I would have said no way. But it was fun. You know, it was, uh, as I kept telling my mother, God, Mom, it's, it's like a career now. <laughs> you started out basically as, as a comic. You guys started out as a comedy team, and that involved in the radio. Yeah, it, we did. We were doing um, a sketch show occasionally at local college campuses and at uh, Laughs Unlimited uh, from time to time. And that's what we wanted to do is we wanted to make people laugh and get paid to do it and... What ultimately happened, I was selling suits at the time in a men's clothing store, and Paul was waiting tables at the Rusty Duck. But anyway, we were, you know, working side jobs, trying to make some money, doing the occasional radio commercial, and a guy who was the um, sales manager working for Fuller Jeffrey when they came to town and bought K-Pop 93.5 many, many years ago said, hey, I know these guys. We've been running some commercials that they did, and I've seen them at Laughs Unlimited. You got to see if they want to do a morning show. And that was the first job I ever had was doing mornings. Just fell right into it. Yep. Never had any intention or (laughs) serious passion about radio. I never thought I'd be in the business. Did they provide any training whatsoever? No. And, you know, our third partner at that time, Paul Kinney, had had some experience in radio as a kid working at KSRO in Santa Rosa. And, you know, he ran the board. Otherwise, we would have had to have an engineer because none of us knew what to do. And by the way, I need to put a plug in. You guys made a movie. And, you know, I think it's available on the web, isn't it? It's really, it's not bad. It, it, it's not good either. <laughs> no, it's got its moments. Okay. Yeah, there is a feature film that my friend Paul Kinney put together a few years ago called Making Something Up. Uh, and it's funny you bring it up. One of my neighbors, a guy that lives a couple of doors down from me, his son found it on Amazon and bought it for him for Christmas. There you go. So I, I had to read his heartfelt review right <laughs> after the holidays. Well, we pulled it up, and there's a, there's a scene, there's a couple of scenes with with you and Paul, and one with uh, one of the characters you hang out with, Mr. Eric Decidas, who was just Eric J. Decidas, the world's greatest living artist, and uh, you know one of the more successful cartoonists in the country. Uh, local guy went to Christian Brothers High School. Most people don't even know he lives in town. Um, he's a pretty good actor. He's, yes, he, he's a he pretty played, good. He played actor. Winston Cakebread of the White Studies Department of UC Davis back many years ago on this program. <laughs> oh. Do you have that on yes, tape anywhere? Yes, I do. Oh, I'd love to hear <laughs> yes. it. It, ha- it also had its moments. I didn't know this story until you, you told to me, you know, some months ago, Phil. You guys made quite the stab at late night television with all the things going on right now with Conan versus uh, Jay Leno, uh, the, the crazy world. You have some insights into this. Well, it is true that um, back in 1987, Paul and I... We had left a job in Dallas. Well, we didn't leave the job. We were fired from a job in Dallas. Uh, Paul and I decided to, that's when there were still three of us, we moved back home. Uh, our buddy Paul Kinney hadn't sold his house. His wife had a pretty good job back there. So Robinson and I figured we'd come home. 
and we went to work uh, at Channel 3 very briefly on the show TV Light, which was the strip show that they did every weekday with Jack Gallagher. That's why Jack originally moved to town, was to do that show. And um, they hired us there to work as reporters, and I anchored the sort of faux news segment we did at the beginning of the show. And when that got taken off the air, we went to work over at 92.5. At that time, it was K-A-E-R. This was before uh, Y92 ever came into existence. We had just started work there. We were there maybe two months, and we get a call from our former producer at Channel 3, Julie Engelman, who said, hey, uh, you guys need to call these guys at Fox. Fox TV? Yeah. Why? Well, because I was over there looking for a job, and I showed them my tape, and they went, hey, who are those guys? Because <laughs> they were doing this late-night show. They were about to mount this new late-night thing after Joan Rivers crashed and burned. And they were looking for two hosts. So we went down, and we screen-tested. And you know, oddly enough, through some quirk of fate, we wound up getting the job. It was still the biggest disaster in the history now, of late-night television. I, I don't... I, 21 I, episodes, four weeks and one day. Well, it's nice that they give you quite a chance, isn't it? No, well, to really know. groove things. They're talking about Conan's been on the air for seven months. Seven and months. Saying, Jeez, that's, that's, that's a not lifetime. enough. <laughs> well, apparently, but I mean, Jesus. And Conan was a writer on this show on uh, on Wilton North. So yeah, we we knew Conan when he was about oh, what was he then? 23, something like that. Very funny kid, nice kid. And in fact, his buddy from Harvard, they'd worked together on the Lampoon there, Greg Daniels also wrote for the show, and Greg went on to write and, and executive produce King of the Hill. I believe he was responsible for the development of The Office as an American product. Um, I think they both wrote for The Simpsons at one time. But there were some very talented people on that staff. You know, in, in all this talk about Conan and this shakeup at NBC, I was online reading some stuff about him, and I had seen um, an interview that he did a couple of years ago with The Onion, parody news site that's that's out there and it's very funny stuff they do great stuff there yes. and it was a serious interview they were asking him about his career and his writing career and i was pleased to see that conan understood what had happened with wilton north report somebody asked him about it and he said you know everything about that show pardon me was ass backwards he said they, they just got it all wrong they had hired all the writers they thought they had it all dialed up and they didn't have any talent yet <laughs> And and he said, the two guys that, that we hired, he said, you know, nice guys. They were like DJs in San Diego, I think is where he thought we were from. Of course, this is, you know, 20 years later. He said, they were the last guys we hired, and that's just the absolute wrong way to do that kind of a show. He said, those should be the first people you hire, because everything that happens on the program is a reflection of them. So you didn't have the opportunity to put your mark on it. They were bringing you on. Oh, absolutely. And, and the other thing that Conan... Well, where was it headed? How did they explain to you where we're going to go with this? Since well, you guys were going to be the driver's That was the problem seat. with the show, and Conan understood that as well. As nobody really knew what it was. They wanted it to be this really smart, really sardonic take on the news every day. But if you'd asked anyone, including the executive producer, Barry Sand, who had been... Letterman's late-night producer at NBC in the early days, although we came to find later he was just kind of a, a network babysitter. Nobody on the show really took Barry very seriously. But Barry Diller hired him to come and produce the show at Fox. If you had asked anybody in a concise sentence, what is this show, no one could have described it. And that, I learned from that experience <laughs> is the worst possible thing to have in a television show, especially a strip show that's on every night. Barry actually said to us one night, he said, 
I want people to never know what they're going to see from one night to the next. That's a horrible idea for a strip show. You know, the success of The Tonight Show and Dave Letterman and those, th- that genre of television programs is people know exactly what they're going to see right. from night to night. Right. And they like that comfort. He's proposing going back to like Milton Berle when they first had television. The fact that you had images was just enough for people. Yeah, that was novel enough to get people to tune in. When you're on five nights a week, there has to be some routine involved. Yeah. He so- didn't want one. So, yeah, it lasted uh, uh, four weeks and a day. So you started each show differently? I mean, did, 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 was there a monologue? Was there, I mean, how did it... No, there was no real monologue. We talked about doing a new segment originally, and that never really happened. <laughs> um, so you really never did know what, what you were No, and it, and it was odd because we would do comedy, and then we would have Nancy Collins come on and interview some newsmaker and do a pretty serious job of it. In fact, one of the first interviews, I think may have been the first interview she did, she... Um, she interviewed Gary Hart's daughter, and this was in the weeks right after the Donna Rice revelations. Did that work? No. <laughs> Nancy Collins asked her about it, and she was profoundly uncomfortable and said to her... About her father's affair. And, and the yeah. fact that she was being asked about it. She said, I really didn't think we were going to talk about this. And Nancy said, well, it, it, it's kind of why your father is in the news right now. I can't believe you wouldn't expect to be asked about it. And meanwhile, Paul and I are sitting over there on the other side of the stage, sort of squirming, <laughs> thinking, oh, my God, when is this going to be over? It was, it was just the whole show was just vaguely uncomfortable. You just didn't, they didn't give you any real power to give it direction. No, none, none. The writers thought it was their show. And we actually had, and I've never told this story publicly before, we had an incident. Well, I won't say we had an incident. I had an incident. <laughs> um, late in the run, it was the last week we were on the air, uh, in fact, it was a bit that Greg Daniels and another guy had written. It wasn't Conan, but it was Greg and another kid by the name of Phil Walsh, I think, that they just thought was great, and Paul and I really didn't care for it. We didn't think it was that funny. We thought it was a, a little too heady for this kind of a show. We, we, if you're going to do something funny, make it funny. And a lot of the stuff that the writers would come up with that we would tell Barry, we like that, his reaction was always, no, it's too Letterman. Yeah, but it's funny, Barry. No, it's too Letterman. I don't want this to be like Letterman. So that, that was a battle we fought every day. But this one bit that we really didn't want to do, <laughs> Barry kept trying to insist that we do. And we did it twice in rehearsal, and our barometer was always the crew. You know, there were 20 or 30 people standing around, and usually if it was funny, they would be laughing. This bit died both times we did it. So we had registered our displeasure with the bit again with Barry for like the third or fourth time. And he came to us again. Our office was right next to his and said, you know, I really think we need to do that bit. And he walked out the door. And I don't know. I was young. I'll chalk it up to youth. Okay. Well, all right. I was, I was 30. But nonetheless, <laughs> I was so livid, not because I hated the bit that much, but because I was just so tired of the people who produced the show not caring what we thought about what we were being asked to do, mm-hmm. that I snatched up the script and I said to Paul... Here is how much I don't want to do this bit. And I set fire to the script. Well, the paper went up much more quickly than I had anticipated. And yay! I drop it on the floor, scorched the carpet. I mean, it was a really ugly scene. 
And of course, then the writing staff finds out that, hey, Phil burned that script, you know. So, That's how much he liked it. Yeah, the very last show was extremely contentious, <laughs> to say the least. They didn't, they didn't deliberately give you bad stuff, did they? No, 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 not at that point. So at what point did you know that they were going to pull the plug on us, we're screwed? Um, it was within the first week or two. We <sighs> knew it was bad. No, we knew it was really bad. We knew it was bad. You know, I talked to my brother back in Santa Rosa, and I said, so did you watch? He said, yeah, I, I, I don't want to be a downer here. He said, but save your money. <laughs> you should save your money. I said, don't worry, I am. Were you between Joan Rivers and what Chevy Chase? Did they go? Who did they no, go to no, after you gosh, guys? No, nothing really happened uh, after us. It was after Joan Rivers left. They kind of had these. They kept with the traditional talk show format, and they had a bunch of rotating hosts that came through. Somebody would come in and do a week. I'm trying to remember who. All I mean, they, some of them were pretty big names in the business. And finally, this kid Arsenio Hall came along. And was really pretty good. You know, he was he was good at the format. They had him on for a few weeks, and it seemed like he was kind of getting his footing. And Paul and I were both kind of looking at each other going, man, what, why make the change now? This guy seems like he's doing pretty well, but they'd already committed to Barry to do the show. So mm-hmm. Arsenio got kicked to the curb, went and made a deal with Universal, I think, is who syndicated his show. That's what happened. And then when we went off, they kind of went back to the traditional format, so I, I would imagine when you read about what's going on with Conan and, and, and Jay and all this, you just it, it doesn't surprise you at all. No, it doesn't really surprise me. What I'm amazed at is the degree to which everybody w- wants to make it a personal issue between the two of them. This was all NBC's doing. You know, from the very beginning when they moved Jay out of The Tonight Show to 10 o'clock, that was Jeff Zucker deciding he was going to be proactive and make the move now and bring Conan along so they could keep those 1849s. And, you know, he was whooping the pants off Letterman for the last 10 years he was on the air, yeah. consistently yeah. had much better numbers. Why in the world you would want to tinker with that, I don't know. And then it turns out both shows tanked, his and The Tonight Show with Conan. And then they decided that, well, maybe we ought to go back. And I have to give Conan a lot of credit. I think he handled everything, aside from the fact that he had a lot of fun at NBC's expense. But that was, you know, that's part of his job. He's out there to get laughs, and he got them. I think he handled things very graciously. You think it's a lead pipe since he's going to wind up at Fox in, in your old slot? I don't know. Uh, you know, Fox seems to be right now not terribly interested. I certainly think they'd like to get a piece of that late night pie, and that'd be a great way to go about it. Well, Phil Cowan, I'm glad we finally got you on, and I know <laughs> any, any final comments about uh, about Fox? I just think that's such a remarkable story that you know you were part of that whole scene. Well, you know, at the time it was just a, an unbelievable opportunity, and one of the things that my friend Paul and I said on the way down there was, "We are going to have so much fun." And the sad truth is it wasn't fun at all. It was a grind, and it was unpleasant and uncomfortable the entire couple of months that we were there. But, you know, I don't regret it. It was, look, I have a great story to tell. Yeah, you do. And as people told me the clips they saw weren't, weren't all that bad. They saw on YouTube. <laughs> you were better than Chevy Are they Chase. on YouTube? I think you, do, you can pull some up on YouTube. So, well, really? A friend of mine in L.A. was pulling something up. Oh, gee. 
Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. We'll I, think, to... I think my mother-in-law still has them on VHS somewhere. Well, we're going to investigate that before you come back. Okay. All right, Phil, thanks. Thanks for having me. That's about it for today's program, which was produced by Edward McMillan. Our thanks to our pal and radio legend Phil Cowan for speaking with us. Hope he'll return to visit sometime soon. Also want to thank Willie Weir, our new adventure bicycling correspondent. We're going to see if we can't keep Paul Dorn as our regular bicycling correspondent. Our feeling is you really can't have too many bike correspondents. Willie will be back, and in the next couple of weeks, we will hear from Jefferson Morley, former Washington Post reporter, about some of his interesting investigations into some curious government secrets. I'm Douglas Everett. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. We'll see you next week at the same time. We trust you did not find this to be a dangerous experience. Or maybe you did. Either way, we'll see you.